It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and joining me, as always, it's Chris Williams. Chris, how have you been? Uh, busy, Bryce. How about you? Yeah, pretty busy. The lead up to Easter, I suppose, a few days off, wrapping things up, which is uh, good. But um, yeah, I suppose uh, the international break was was fairly entertaining. It would have certainly had worse ones, um, but it's, well, it's good. I was hoping it'd be a bit quieter than it was. We sort of had a <laughs> a rude awakening Saturday night when we were all, you know, getting ready to go to bed. Breaking <laughs> stories, etc. Yes, we did. We certainly did. But we'll get to that in good time. I, I suppose, um, yeah, football never sleeps, really, does it? But um, uh, another one of us that's uh, no doubt busy as well is Manu Vett. Manu, how have you been? Yeah, very busy too. I usually, you know, the international break was a bit quieter than the usual, but I hoped it would be even quieter. And, of course... Um, one of the leagues that I cover, Major League Soccer, they didn't take a break. Um, I guess they didn't honor the international break. Uh, and they played on, so the Whitecaps played on Saturday, which meant I was in, White, in Vancouver um, to cover that game. And uh, actually got to talk to Carl Robinson, the head coach, and we made fun of the fact that they didn't honor the international break. Uh, so that was actually kind of fun. But yeah, it's been busy, but good. I mean, good. it's good to be busy uh, sometimes, isn't it, Bryce? Oh, of course. Definitely, especially you if you're in charge of your own business, eh? You know, then yeah, then it's, it's it's good to be busy. But I, I was actually at Craven Cottage um, over the international break as well, seeing a, Australia versus Colombia, which was a uh, uh, quite the uh, the entertainment. I must say, those Colombia fans really know how to uh, celebrate even winning throw-ins. So um, fair play to them. That that was good fun. But let's talk about um, uh, a game that I think the three of us thoroughly enjoyed. And that was Spain taking on Germany. Um, I, I mean, as far as international friendlies go, majority of the time they're, they're pretty drab affairs, aren't they? But this one was far from it. And, uh, Manu, you, you had a lot, um, a lot of positive things to say about this. Well, especially the first 70 minutes. Yeah, usually Joachim Löw is the master of, um, destroying any, taking any joy out of friendly matches because he experiments wildly um he puts together the most random squads nominates uh players left right and center and you know they're friendlies they're test matches so germany's germany's record in test matches is um not great even against small countries i think um i put out a stat before um, after they did the second game that since 2010 um, Germany had lost at least one um, of the two friendlies in March um, and there were some results and they're like a 3-5 defeat to Switzerland um, you know so this is this is not a great time but then he kind of surprised me a little bit against Spain I guess um, this is a side that he takes very serious and Spain took that very the game very serious so the two teams actually put out two very strong sides and the first 70 minutes I mean it was back and forth there was periods where Spain was absolutely dominant Press Germany t- into the, the, the corners, um, into the own half. And then Germany, um, did very much the same to Spain. And, um, it was in those two spells that the two goals fell, right? One for Spain, one for Germany. And, um, I got the sense that both of those teams would have actually deserved the second goal and could have maybe been more goals, but it was just breathless stuff. Um, you really saw two teams at the absolute highest level, um, that football 
can produce. And it it's really was really enjoyable to watch because it was nice seeing two teams trying to play football, which is something that you don't often get. Oftentimes when team when Germany faces teams, and that was even the case in the second game, they, they try to barricade themselves into their own house. And um, with Spain, um, I got the sense that they really want to take them. And great things are happening in Spanish football. I mean, you see that club football is probably the best in the world and that national team has very much recovered and um, I said it in the Football Grad Network chat I think afterwards that I think I've seen the world champion in this game uh, now you will ask me who of the two teams it is I I'm not sure because I think they're very much on the same level and Chris this is something we chatted about the, the, the pace it was just incredible um, seeing that yeah this was um, not like a friendly game was it I chatted to the guys on um, Sirius after this game and said it reminded me of a competition game. It was taken so seriously, and you're quite right. Spain flew out of the traps and, and got an early goal, and I, I thought for the first 10, 15 minutes, Germany looked a little rocked, especially Kimmich. I thought he was the weak link down the right-hand side, but he's had a fantastic season so far, so I think we can forgive him for that. Maybe he thought it was going to be um, a more of a friendly game, and, and it wasn't at all, and Iniesta... We spoke earlier about he may be getting older in football in terms, but wow, his footballing brain is still there. And I think when you get to his age, which isn't really that old in the big scheme of things, mid-30s, he can he can still spot a pass. So we, the way he opened up um, Hummels to, to get the ball into Rodrigo for the first goal, he just gave him the eyes and slid the pass in. I mean, that is world-class football. Um, and But it was really good to see Germany come back in it. And they came back in it fast, and I was really impressed with the short, sharp bursts of passes that we're putting together. So it was almost like a Spanish rondo at times. They were knocking the ball around. And Spain, um, on the other hand, they were spraying really long crossfield balls. Um, Alba was trying to pick out silver. It was quite entertaining to watch. Um, I think as a as a tie war, especially when the substitution starts to be made mid, mid-game or mid-second half, it went flattish. But the first 45 was breathless. It was a fantastic, um, fantastic advert for two teams who are playing brilliant football. And I mean, we spotted, uh, we chatted off air, didn't we, that I think the World Cup champions could come from this game. Um, they're very, very good. But I thought Spain's opening goal was an excellent team goal. And then Thomas Muller, um, I spoke, I say, spoke the other day to the serious guys. And I said that too. David De Gea's wouldn't have saved that because it was just put in the only place you can't. Um, save a ball as a goalkeeper. It was fantastic. And they were two really, really well-taken goals, which summed up probably, you said already, Bryce, 70 minutes of fantastic football. Yeah, and Thomas Müller doesn't score from there very often. That's, I think he surprised everyone, probably himself as well, that, you know, he picked up the ball and that was an oddly struck but perfectly struck shot. I would say, in its own way, it was a typical Thomas Müller goal um, in a very untypical fashion. Yeah, he's a little bit unorthodox, isn't he, mm. Thomas Miller in his style? And and that was an inside of the foot, kind of up and down shot, wasn't it? And as Chris said, yeah, he seemed to take everyone by surprise, including maybe himself and De Gea. But uh, two very, very good goals and a very entertaining game. But uh, Manu, if we just um, look at the team lineup uh, for a moment, would you say that this is going to be those first 11 going up, or maybe Neuer, um, going into the World Cup. And uh, then I asked the question to both of you, um, who were the winners and losers um, amongst that 11? Chris already mentioned that maybe Kimmich struggled ever so slightly. Yeah, Kimmich improved. And I think he he got himself cornered a little bit too often in, in his corner. And then once he realized what was going on, he, he, he did better playing himself out of the situation. He, he's... Um, he was the youngest in the back, in the back four. Um, something to remember. We forget how young Kimmich is sometimes. And I think he grew with this game. So I think he, his stock, um, was a right, um, will be a right going into the tournament. It's, it's hard looking at this 11 and say, um, you know, there's a real loser. Julian Draxler at times fell flat a little bit and then picked himself up, um, towards the end of the, the first half. Um, I feel that, Maybe his position is under greatest threat should um, Marco Royce come back. And then Mesut Özil can be um, very quiet at times. So I think he is another one that has to watch a little bit. Sami Khedira, I think he's 
um, in some ways, and I think this is when we get to the second game, he might be actually a winner of this match. Um, he, he did very well. As to Ter Stegen, Ter Stegen, I think he, any rest worries they were that, uh, in case Manuel Neuer is not going to be fit, that we wouldn't have an amazing starting goalkeeper have been eliminated by Ter Stegen's performance. He was absolutely unbelievable. Um, I would actually say that he has reached Manuel Neuer's level and um, this might be, if Neuer comes back in time, this might be la- Ter Stegen's last tournament on the bench. Um, I, I suspect that by Euro 2020, he will be um, trying to, to get that number one position in goal. And uh, I think when you look at the way he's playing right now, there's a good chance that he will be threatening Neuer's position. But yeah, he was fantastic. And the backline board Tang Homers, I guess that's that's it. I, I think they are, they are very much have their positions um, set. Um, as does Hector. He, Hector is unflappable in a lot of ways, um, and just a just a great uh, reliable player. So yeah, I guess the the losers for me are in, if there was a loser in this match, uh, Özil and Draxler maybe. And Chris, would you go along with that? Would you like to highlight anyone else that you thought played particularly well or or poorly, apart from maybe? Uh, Kimmich being a slightly lower form than he than he normally has. Well, I only thought he was on a lower form for the first 10-15 minutes, but obviously Spain has scored by then. Um, once he woke up, he was absolutely fine. I think he was just, to say he was overawed would probably be the wrong word, but I think he possibly thought in his own mind that the game wasn't going to be as competitive as it was. Um, and if he entered the pitch in that mindset, it's taken him 10-15 minutes to adjust um, to bring himself back up to the level it should have been to competition level. And once he did that, it was absolutely fine. I, I thought this game was um, was very, very good. And I mean, Manu highlighted Draxler. I did think he was pretty much anonymous for maybe the first 30, 35 minutes, which doesn't bode very well for him. Um, but he is a very good player. I mean, this, as you said, this 11 is it's there or thereabouts. I think Emre Chan could probably come into that 11 at some point. Obviously, he was injured, which is why he made um, no appearance in this game and he was sent home from Berlin for the second game and back to Liverpool to be checked. So, I mean, look who didn't... What we've, what we've got to discuss here is we're saying this is a really good 11, but look who wasn't on the field at the start of that match. Julian Brandt, uh, Mario Gomez brought himself back into contention, Goretzka, Sula... Um, Gunyondan, it was Leroy Sane. One thing we'll talk about him in a minute. But um, throughout the season, he has been a good player. So these are um, these. This is a squad that is littered with talent. So if maybe one person isn't performing. Um, Joachim Love has the the unique ability to be able to swap world class for world class, and not many managers have that. They could normally bring on an impact player from the bench. They can't bring world class for world class. So that's why Germany have got the upper hand. I think from some of the other teams around them in the World Cup this summer. Yes, most certainly. But guys, let, let's move on to the second game then. We've seen on Tuesday night, Germany um, playing in Germany once again, uh, taking on Brazil. Uh, obviously, we looked at this fixture just like the other one uh, and thought, wow, th- this is going to be a spectacle as well. Uh, though there was quite a few changes. Um, only three players remained in the starting lineup, um, as to be expected, I suppose, with international friendlies being played so closely together. That left Kimmich, Botang, and Draxler still in the starting lineup. Uh, Manu, uh, this was a completely different game altogether, wasn't it? And the, the changes probably showed that. This was a Louvre classic. Um, yeah, it's. I think the formation was right, but I don't think the composition of the players um tony gross i want to add him to the players that survived um the spain game he was in the lineup as well and um it, it, i thought it was all odd that goretzka played on the right draxler played in the center i i would have swapped the two maybe um or maybe given draxler a break and um played goretzka in the center or goretzka maybe instead of gundogan i think gundogan and gross are too similar in some ways they they are kind of like these Sabi Alonso-esque uh, players, you know, that like to, to sit a little bit deep and like act like almost like um, a metronome, metronome um, to set the pace for the squads. And so, yeah, the, the, the balance was off. Um, you need some, you need an aggressive midfielder in that squad. And although Germany had 63% ball possession throughout the match, and Brazil really only had that one big chance in the first half, and then they had a second chance in the second half, a double chance, um, which Klopp did quite well. 
Germany pretty much dominated this game without being too dangerous. And that's, yeah, it, I think that's because they just lacked someone in midfield that um, could give them that punch through in the, in the final third. And maybe the likes of uh, Sané, who I think is an excellent player, but is uh, maybe sometimes still a bit too nice. Um, he, he just didn't, um, he didn't deliver in this match. Uh, so I think that the balance was a little off. Um, I would have maybe liked to see this been put together a little bit different. I think Rüdiger and Boateng, uh, Rüdiger is a very good defender. He's getting, developing into a very good defender and he's very athletic. But the problem is, um, as is Boateng and so you, I, I felt we were kind of lacking that player that could play the ball out of the back, uh, that long ball that Hummel is so good at. And, uh, so Hummel's, I think, um, he's very good at bringing that ball behind a defensive line um, from all the way back. That was missing. So yeah, it's it's just felt the chemistry wasn't right. And Mario Gomez is a good target player, but if you don't have anyone in in your squad that can give you send you a ball um, towards you, that's hard. And Brazil's defenders are very static. Um, I, I think Brazil's defense. A lot of people are putting them as World Cup favorites, and I, I guess this result will kind of indicate them. But I feel that Brazil as a team, um, they're very beatable. It's they're just so static. They they two wingbacks, Marcelo and the Alves. They are Dani Alves are too aggressive sometimes. They leave too many gaps. Mariandra and Thiago Silva. Um, I think someone like Timo Werner and when you know Werner and Wagner came on to play. Um, and a 3-5-2 with Stindl right behind them. That actually, that system worked better for Germany. So it's sort of a bit like the Confederations Cup system, right? And I actually thought that system worked better for them, but because all of a sudden you had three, you had two dynamic, um, forwards and you had someone in there who you could feed the long balls to. And so that system kind of stretched the Brazilian backline a little bit more. And that's, I think, what they needed. So yeah, this was a glue of classic. He, he experimented and, uh, the players probably were already switched off at their respective club teams as well. That's at least how I saw it. I'm curious to hear what you think, Chris. Well, um, I mean, not much different than that, to be honest. I, th I thought the change around of personnel affected the flow from, if you're going to look at the two games um, side by side, obviously that I think it was six changes made really affected the flow of the game. I mean, while start at the top, Mario Gomez, I thought he's poor and he was, he's been exceptional for late. Um, Stuttgart, so I was lucky enough to see him in person uh, when they beat Cologne the other week. I thought he was very, very good that day, and he's been excellent throughout the season. Uh, I thought um, in the capital, he let himself down a little bit, um, as did um, Trap in goal. Um, you know, Looking back again uh, at the game, he just gave the ball away. I mean, I want to say about maybe eight or nine times. It was horrendous. Um, out of that whole... Um, back line then I think Platten Hart and Rudiger stood out um, obviously Kimmich and Boateng are going to be there or thereabouts um, I thought that Gunyondan didn't particularly have one of his strongest games um, and neither did his Man City teammate uh, Leroy Sane I thought they were both very poor as well so for a second string showing I, I wasn't really enamoured by them and I think this is probably as far away from a starting 11 and, and starting 11 mindset as you could possibly get. Um, so I think that was probably good for Joachim Love to see. I think he knows, as as well as we probably do, you can almost choose the first starting eleven and get it there or thereabouts. I think he'll know that. He just wanted to see some fringe players playing, and they were given that chance. And if we're going to look at those fringe players, I would say, like Manu did, it, it, Rudiger is good, and Plattenhart will be a very good option to Hector if he's given the chance. The rest of them, so so yeah i'd have to say that we may be a little biased towards the germans as this is a german football podcast but um, i would say with a full strength 11 out there i don't think they're gonna have any problems against a brazil side that's uh, only made one change uh, between the the two friendlies um i don't think they've got much uh, cutting edge if i'm being honest but uh, manu let's talk uh, a little bit about uh, what tony cruz said i uh made a mistake and uh, he did start both games that's correct um, but he said that um, some of the players didn't show enough on the pitch you know they, they didn't have enough about them um, and that seems to be in agreement with what Chris and you have just said yeah um, I think there's a little bit something going on that behind those doors and I think this is this is a potential danger and we, we talked about this potential danger is that 
Cruz is of course part of the World Cup winning legion, right? And a lot of some of the players that were playing against Brazil were part of the Confederations Cup winning side. And I think um sometimes, you know, the, the old guard uh wants to cement their place a little bit. But he has also has a point. I mean when you look at the way Gundogan played in this match, um you know, this is a guy who wants to start at the World Cup and I I don't think he showed Löw why he should be starting. I think that Kadira right now has definitely the the heads up um in front he's definitely the the no better option right now because he's more aggressive, right? And Kroos is and Kroos and Gundogan are two similar players. Sane um he played he didn't really show that aggressiveness either that you need to play against the side. He made several really good runs, but without consequence. And I think that is something that Kroos also meant. Because when you play against a team like Brazil, you need to be going consequential and you need to go in with power and um, not worry about, you know, your your club performances on the weekend. So I think that's really what he what he was getting at. And um, I think there was also... For Brazil, this game was very important because of what happened at the last World Cup, right? And uh, what I found remarkable is that uh, Chiche, the, the Brazilian head coach, throughout this game, he only substituted Coutinho for Douglas Costa. That was the only change he made during the game. He was very, very much protective of that lead. When uh, Brazil sat so deep, it was basically like Germany playing against someone like Norway or the Czech Republic or, you know, one of those other smaller sides that got an early lead and just wanted to protect it. it the game very much felt like that uh, for, for large parts of the game, whereas Germany made substitution after substitution and changed the squad around. So it was really interesting to see some of those dynamics. And yes, Brazil are an excellent side. And yes, they will be there about in the World Cup, but I just don't... I, I just got the feeling from this game in particular... If Germany plays there with the number one eleven in a competitive game, uh, it could get ugly for the Selecao. So, Manu, overall, um, with the two uh, international friendlies now, been and gone, can Lou come away from it um, rather happy? I mean, what what exactly have we learned from uh, from these two? Well, I take away that the this the starting eleven against Spain is probably very close to the starting eleven. That you will see um, at the first match, and and in Russia, um, that's what I take away. And um, I think that if they play like they do against Spain, then you know they will go very deep, and then we will margins to decide the tournament. So I think that's something that we can take away from it. Um, the yeah, I, I basically want to leave it at that. I think that's really what we, what we can learn. The Spain game is. Um, was was a very good lesson of where the squad is. The Brazil game was an experimental game. Yeah, I think there's a lot for Lo to be happy about uh, going into the uh, final few months before the World Cup. But guys, that's the international break done. Let's talk more domestic. And before we talk about the weekend's matches coming up, because we've got a few very interesting games indeed. Uh, we're going to go back to Chris Williams and what he mentioned at the start of the podcast on Saturday night. There was a bit of, uh, well, more than rumblings, um, breaking news possibly uh, coming out about um, ex-Dortmund coach Thomas Tuchel. Um, some were reporting that he um, had turned down Bayern Munich and that he was going to sign for Arsenal. Chris, what exactly is going on with the Thomas Tuchel train, as you said, and where do we expect it to stop? Well, this story is changing um, by the hours probably too much, but we'll take you back to Saturday where we're all relaxing, um, having just watched some uh, nice um, international football, and then all of a sudden it drops that um, Thomas Tuchel had turned Bayern down uh, he'd wanted the job earlier. He'd lost patience with waiting to be offered it formally. Um, he had the idea he was going to be given it. He'd been talked about. Even Heinke said that he'd be a good person to take over from. But whatever's gone on, um, Tuchel decided he um, he now didn't uh, want to coach Bayern Munich. Now, we'll come back to that point in a minute. Um, so from then on, it very quickly moved to um, he'd signed for Arsenal. That was it. Done and dusted. According to aspects in the German press, he signed for Arsenal. Now, uh, that 
seemed very strange, um, not just to me, but to a lot of people, because obviously the relationship that him and Missenslat had at the end of the Dortmund era where they were together. Now, um, Sven is the head of recruitment now at Arsenal. So would he want to bring Tuchel down? Now, Tuchel banned him from the, um, they said changing him there, from the training ground um, at Dortmund after he didn't get the signings he wanted. It was um, Torres from Atletico, Oliver Torres from Atletico. He, he wanted him, he didn't get him, um, and they fell out massively, and that was one of a number of fall-ins out. So Dort, um, Tuchel left Dortmund. Uh, Mislat obviously went to Arsenal, but would the two work together again? I thought that would be a strange one. Anyway, it came out that, no, he's not going to Arsenal. But um, we do know that he flew to London on the 2nd of March. That I've, I've had that confirmed by two separate people that he was in London. Um, and he also, um, in that weekend, met representatives from Chelsea. Uh, and at the time, um, Sunday, wasn't sure um, how that, meeting went however it's it's come out Raphael Honigstein has, has said that that meeting went exceptionally well so he's now impressed um, the people at Chelsea which would be strange for me and and Manu knows this as well because Thomas Tuchel wants to go to Champions League side Chelsea at the moment are going to miss out unless they win the Champions League they will probably finish fifth or sixth in the Premier League um, so they won't be in the Champions League now if Tuchel's going to sign a four or five year deal um, I suppose he could foresee it for one season and then he could take them um, himself especially if he has a season like Conte's first season he could go and win the title and also because he likes to talk to a lot of people too he talked to Everton uh, the back end of last year um, when they were after a manager he's also spoke to PSG now I think this would be a better fit for him Um, he would be taking over the Bayern of France very very head and shoulders above everybody else in the league and purely concentrating on the Champions League and whether they can win it or not. So that's where um, effectively we are, uh, is that Tuchel turned down Bayern and he's been approached by Chelsea and PSG and he will make his decision. However, um, it's come out in the last I think, three or four hours, maybe a little longer, that Bayern have now said, oh, we didn't want him anyway. So he didn't turn us down, we turned him down. So uh, there may be a bit of damage limitation or there may just be the truth somewhere between the two stories but whatever it is it now looks like Thomas Tuchel is definitely not going to Bayern Munich and that will open up who goes to Bayern Munich and potentially three or four changes in the Bundesliga for next season which um, I think we will keep a very very close eye on most certainly it's uh, it's very uh, well exciting to see where Thomas Tuchel is going to land so we all rate him quite highly as a coach don't we uh, Manu, who do you think uh, is to believe? Uh, Thomas Tuchel didn't want Bayern. Bayern didn't want Thomas Tuchel. And where do you think um, is probably best for him to land? Chris said uh, PSG might be a, a good fit for him. I tend to believe Bayern um, because they certainly, you know, he certainly was an option, but he definitely was not the number one option. Um, he was among many candidates. And I think maybe that's why he then definitely said, well, we, before you guys are doing this casting and with all these managers that you are considering, um, I am making a decision and, um, which is probably possibly will save, uh, has saved him an embarrassment of being officially turned down because now we, no one knows, right? Um, no one, it's, it's one party against the other. Um, although yes, I am very much in the, in the thought process that and not from what I've heard too, that Bayern uh, were the ones that turned Tuchel down, not the other way around. Um, mainly because I think Bayern have some someone slightly different in mind. Someone, you know, when we mention these things, someone who has more empathy, who can work with star players and is possibly able to um, work together with some of the older players that may only get limited playing time uh, next season, which is, I don't think, something that Tuchel can do. Um, where will Tuchel end up? Hmm. I think Chris outlined it very well. I think that the Chelsea is is maybe is the favorite in England, I would say. And um, I think that is there's a candidate that where he impressed, um, you know, the, the, the Russian connection there is obviously the, the way I hear, get to know things about Chelsea. And uh, I, 
I heard that uh, he really impressed Maria. Um, Abramovich's secretary would be the wrong word. Uh, she basically runs everything at Chelsea, and he really impressed her. That's the gatekeeper. If you get past her, you uh, have a very good chance of landing the, the position uh, at Chelsea. So um, I think that is that is a very good option for him. Uh, the downside, of course, is there's no Champions League football in, in, at Chelsea next season because they are out of the Champions League. They are so far removed from any Champions League places. So it would be kind of like the first year he came into Dortmund, right? It would be a year in the Europa League. Uh, PSG... Yeah, apparently he speaks fluent French and he really impressed the guys at the PSG as well. So uh, Chris said it, it would be the Bayern of France. I think he can run a project there and um, they can win the Champions If he wins the Champions League with them, that'd be, you know, be a huge achievement and it's a doable achievement as well. And um, I want to throw something else in here, guys, that we haven't really discussed. And this is Real Madrid. Now, um, Zinedine Zidane, of course, is a legend at Real Madrid, but if an early Champions League exit could mean that he, uh, will be let go. Um, this is definitely a possibility. And I know that the, the guys at Real Madrid, um, absolutely love Thomas Tuchel and, um, Real Madrid have a long history of German coaches, right? Um, remember Udo Ladek, uh, coach there. And then, of course, um, Jopankis himself, he won the Champions League with Real Madrid. So that's definitely a possibility as well. Ah, very exciting. So we have quite a few possibilities, don't we? We're just going to have to uh, see where he lands, I suppose. Or, as Chris says, where's that train going to stop? Um, guys, let's talk about Bayern then a little bit further. Uh, Chris, uh, do we know who's possibly going to come to Bayern? Um, do they even know who's going to be their next coach um what's going on there <laughs> well uh, i think they were very keen on having thomas tuchel and he's obviously ruled himself out but we know that they want a fluent german speaker probably a german um, or austrian but i don't think it's going to be peter stoger before you ask me that price very quickly um so that narrows it down quite a lot i I have a sneaky feeling they may try and buy out the rest of uh, Ralph Hasselhull's time at um, Leipzig. He would fit the bill. He seems for me like a really good fit for Bayern. I think he's old enough. Um, where if you look at like a Julian Nagelsmann, he's still doing quite a lot of developing, um, both as a coach and, and as a man. He, he's only um, 30 years old. So Hasselhull's got the the edge on him. A little bit older, a little bit wiser, knows a little bit more. Um, a little bit more settled in his own mind, perhaps. I think that would be a very, very good um, poach for them, but it's going to cost them a lot of money. If they do that, he will be, without doubt, the most expensive German manager ever. And I read somewhere today that that could be in a region of 10 million euros for them to um, get him from RB Leipzig. So that would be an interesting one. Um, but I think now it's just going to be a really... A really captivating watch because everybody we thought uh, it was going to be Tuchel now you know that's been ruled out whether it's by club or whether it's by the coach himself but it's going to be this fight and and if Hasenhutl goes and he goes there that opens up a slot at Leipzig you would expect at the moment Peter Stoker to potentially move on so there will be a slot at Borussia Dortmund there's going to be a massive fight for um for, for managers this summer, and it's going to be a very, very interesting watch. Yeah, indeed. There's, there's going to be quite the uh, merry-go-round of coach uh, changes, uh, we feel. Uh, Manu, uh, what's your view on Bayern? Uh, do you think that uh, Hasenhutl will end up there? And I suppose let's talk about Dortmund as well. Stoger, no Stoger. Who's going to end up there? Yeah, I, I think Lucien Favre is available for 3 million euros, um, this summer at Nice. And I think the tendency is, uh, towards getting him, um, at Dortmund, 3 million euros. Um, I mean, it's a lot for a coach, but I think that's what Dortmund are going to do. And the only thing I, I, the only thing I think I can see tap, uh, torpedoing that is that. <laughs> Uh, Lucien Favre is also on the list of potential Bayern coaches, um, speaks German, uh, 3 million euros as peanuts for Bayern. 
to get him and um tactically is is the sort of guy that they would like to see so um I could see Bayern and Dortmund fishing a little bit in the same pond and it's it's an interesting it's an interesting development overall Bryce because the Bundesliga has is has a lot of young and exciting coaches right um a lot of talents but there is, seems to be that generation missing between the old guard and um this young bunch of coaches so there is the likes of Tedesco, Nagelsmann, Kovac, Hasenhüttl, right? They're all really good coaches, but all of them don't feel that they're ready um, for one of the big jobs, right? Or in the case of Bayern, they don't feel that um, one of those young coaches is ready to take one of the big jobs. Uh, but that's exactly the kind of coach that both those clubs need. Uh, so there's a bit of um, that in-between generation is missing. I mean, it's 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 sort of symbolic that Bayern had to go for your Pinkus, a 70-year-old coach, right? Because he was the only one with the pedigree and the experience. Um, the rest is has the pedigree, but not necessarily the experience. So it's interesting that we have that kind of situation. And maybe it also shows you some of the, the, the fundamental problems that we have in German football right now. It's um, that there is a lot of young coaches that are still kind of trying to, to find their way, break into the system, and they're all excellent um, excellent coaches, but they don't have the experience, which then, of course, translates into international international games uh, where German clubs have struggled. So it's kind of interesting that you you see the two the two big clubs struggling to find that big name coach um, who's not old but has has experience. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's definitely something to keep an eye on. But I I reckon that Lucien Favre is the favorite to take the Borussia Dortmund job, and with Bayern, I, I think it could be anyone at the moment i mean there's even christian streich has been um is has been named as an, an option for one season um although i doubt that he will take the bayern job for one year um i think he would want to stay there longer but yeah it's it's an interesting situation right now in german football in general and i think we also have to remember that at some point there's going to be like a second and third order effect with managers moving and there'll be be not a mid-table team, but there'll be um, a European or a Europa League team without a manager or a, or a team that's capable of fighting for the Europa League. And I just think that David Wagner has taken Huddersfield as far as he can. Um, he's taken them to their ceiling, and that's no disrespect to Huddersfield Town, but they're a, you know they're Huddersfield Town, and the clues in the name. They're a small town, a small northern town. Um, for them to finish 15th in the Premier League, I think that's their glass ceiling. So he has got them promoted and he's, he's taken them into the Premier League. And if he keeps them in the Premier League, that is the glass ceiling for him at Huddersfield. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him make a move back to the Bundesliga in the summer. Yeah, and then there is Chris, maybe to add another name, there's Mark Rose from um, RB Salzburg, um, who's German. Right, Marco, and um, has has done a phenomenal job with Salzburg in the Europa League. So, um, one of the suggestions. Well, I think we know which way. Uh, <laughs> if he follows the path of his players, yes. then uh, I think we know where he's going to. I end was up. just going to say that, yeah, Marco Rose is, um Guess where he's born? He's born in Leipzig. So, um, yeah, I guess if Hasenhüttl does move on, there is a replacement waiting and ready uh, in Leipzig uh, for him to take over. But yeah, it's uh, he's been a name that's been on any many people's lips because you know getting an Austrian Bundesliga side, even with the money that RB Salzburg have, and kick out Borussia Dortmund, um, that's turned some heads. And German-speaking German coach, um, a lot of clubs in German football prefer German-speaking coaches. So that's definitely definitely an interesting candidate to keep in mind. Yeah, it's almost too easy a writing for our. The rumor page, isn't it, that he would go that way? It's taken too many boxes, but yeah, uh, I have a feeling that we're going to be doing an awful lot of reporting on coaches in the next few months. Guys, let's talk about the football land. So obviously, Bundesliga returns this weekend. We've got match day 28. That's right, there's not too much of it left, but there's plenty up for grabs. Uh, obviously, the highlight of the weekend is going to be the Classicer. Yeah, that's going to be the, well, I was going to say the late kickoff game on Saturday, but on this one occasion, there will, will be a game on later than them. Uh, so this will be the 1830 
uh, Central European summertime game. There's 18 points between the two sides in the league, with uh, Bayern Munich sitting in first and Dortmund sitting in third. Guys, let's talk about this game, and I suppose let's try and predict how how we see it going. Um, Manu, let's go to you first. Um, What's your possible prediction, uh, and who do you see coming out on top? Oh, I hate questions like that, Bryce. Um, I'm going to write the preview. (laughs) Set you up, eh? Yeah, you did. (laughs) Uh, I was hoping you would go to Chris with this one. Um, I am going to write a preview on this match tomorrow. Um, so it will be out the same day than this podcast I gather. So, uh, how do I see this game going? Look, I think what we have to keep in mind is that Bayern are champions. You know, they're not champions yet, but if they not win it this match day, they will win it the, the following match day, right? They're not, they're not going to falter. Um, so I think. We have to really keep in mind the fact that Bayern have a Champions League game on Tuesday against Sevilla and um, they want to win the treble um, for the second time under your Pankers. And I think we could actually see them focusing a bit more on the Sevilla match rather than the Borussia Dortmund match. And that is, um, that will mean that someone like Jerome Boateng who picked up a knock in the friendly against Brazil will sit this one out. That's actually been in the news just now um, that he is questionable for this game, and I don't think they will risk him for a game that is for Bayern. Yes, it's prestigious; it's a very prestigious game, but in the end of the day, they they have that Bundesliga title wrapped up, so they will want to get him fit for the Sevilla game, right? So there's already someone missing. I could see um, maybe Sandro Wagner getting the start over Lewandowski. Um, I could see them rotating the squad slightly. And uh, Dortmund need to win this game because they need to get the points for the Champions League. Right? That's They still have something to play for. So Dortmund will maybe take this game, not saying that Bayern is not taking this game serious. Bayern takes every game extremely serious. They're the most uh, professional side when it comes to this kind of stuff in Germany, maybe around the world. But they will take this game very serious. But they will maybe have an eye already on Sevilla. So I think, um, I think that Dortmund have a chance to get a result and at the at this game, um, maybe win this game, even get the three points that they very much need uh, to to get into the Champions League. So I'm st- sticking my head out of the window and I'm saying two uh, one for Borussia Dortmund. Oh, very good, um, Chris. Can you back that? Um, do you think that Bayern will have uh, one eye on the Champions League game rather than? Well, they, they can't wrap up the uh, the championship this weekend, but the following games against uh, Osberg and Borussia Mönchengladbach, two very winnable games that you would imagine um, over those two that they will have it sealed. Uh, how do you see the weekend's uh, Classic going? Well, similar to Manu, I think if they wouldn't have been playing Sevilla midweek, this is an excellent chance for them to wrap the title up, not only against what I think we'll all agree is their closest rivals and has been for in the last few seasons, maybe five or six, maybe even seven, um, if we're going to go back a little bit further. So that would give them the impetus. They could also win the title on home soil for the first time since 2000. So that's 18 years. It's a long time since they last won the title um, on their home ground. Um, so that will give them Um, something to play for, but Manu's already said it, they've got a crucial um, Champions League game midweek, and he's quite right, they are going to win the title. I know they um, sort of faltered against Leipzig, but I can't see them going on an eight or nine game um, losing streak now, so if they don't win it this week, quite rightly, they'll win it the week after, and if they win it away at Augsburg or somewhere like that, then so be it. They'll just win the title. So I'm of the same... um, mind of Manu that Dortmund could just pinch this. Now, I was going to say 2-1, but Manu's stolen it. So um, I don't think it's a 1-0 game and I don't think it's a 3-2 game. So I'm going to have to, um, unfortunately, be really boring and go with the same scoreline. Um, and for Dortmund, this this could give them a real jump up. If they can win in the Allianz by two goals to one, it will give them everybody around the club a lift after going out to um, Red Bull Salzburg and after slipping down, and let's not forget that back end of September, August, September um, time, just before we went into October, 
I think everybody pretty much said that Dortmund had won the league because Bayern were awful and the gap was big enough for them just to go on, keep on playing the way they were and, and maybe they could win it this season and that'll be fresh in their minds. So if they can win um, in Munich and take three points back away, I think it'll be a great result for them. But yeah, any other time of the season, I think Bayern go out and win the league here. But maybe, just maybe, because of the Champions League, they keep one eye on that and, and save title celebrations for another day. Yeah, most certainly. And as as I said, they've got two very winnable games coming up after that, easier games than this. Um, I suppose, uh, Manu, the Sevilla game then, we're, we're looking at that as being ever so slightly more important for uh, Bayern's season in the next week. Uh, do you see them in their first game being away to Sofia? Do you, do you see them uh, going out to try and beat them, get as many goals, uh, that is away goals, um, on the boards and then returning to, to Munich and having the tie wrapped up? Oh, don't make a mistake, Sevilla is a good side. Um, I don't want to make the same mistake as a very famous English pundit and say that Sevilla, you know, what did he say? English, Sevilla wouldn't even finish in the bottom six of the Premier League. Um, I think the guy is eating his words now. They, they're a very good side. You know, if you are in the quarterfinal of the Champions League, you are there deserved. And um, they, they were good against Manchester United in both ties, both home and away. I think Manchester United were actually fortunate to still have a fighting chance when the game returned to Old Trafford. And um, I think that Bayern have to take Sevilla serious. And they will. I think that Bayern always, um, you know, Bayern will always, they're always very professional and they will, will tackle this game in the most professional fashion. And I therefore think that, you know, they will, they will probably get through this tie. Um, but I wouldn't actually say, I think if they, if they come back home to the Allianz Arena with maybe a 1-1 draw, I think that would be a good result, you know, to have the away goal and um, have have the ability to then wrap it up at home. I think that that'd be very good. And um, you know, once you're in the semi-final, everything is possible. But yeah, don't 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 underestimate the Sevilla side. A lot of people are saying Bayern were lucky again; they got the easy draw. But this is this is a side that com com very handedly knocked out Manchester United. So I wouldn't underestimate them at all. Yeah, definitely not. You don't get to this stage of the competition. By, uh, by being a per side, will we say. Uh, then let's look at the, a few of the other games uh, this weekend. We've got um, RB Leipzig. They're going to be playing uh, their Europa League tie uh, midweek um, at home to Marseille. But uh, first of all, they've got to take on Hanover. Are they going to also, Chris, um, You know, maybe have one eye on that game? It's obviously very tough uh, in the Bundesliga at the moment to get you know, the, the European spots, but especially the, the Champions League spot, they're, well, they're two points off at the moment, but there's a lot of teams in the mix. Yeah, I think um, Leipzig would be foolish to um, disregard this game against Hanover and go all in for their game against Marseille. I mean, as you quite rightly said, they are sixth, um, but it, a good win, um, and they could be fourth if the results go their way for the um, the remaining of the match day so I, I can't see them I mean I, we've spoke loads of times they don't have the squad depth to put out um, to two sides anyway so I think you'll see a um, a full strength Leipzig uh, go out against Hanover and if they take the lead early or maybe they're comfortable by half time 2-3-0 then I think Hassan Hutton will have the um, ability to rotate his side um, but I can't see them starting a second string um or, or, a, or a weaker side against Hanover and, and concentrate on Marseille. Because let's remember they're in the Europa League. Um, it's not the Champions League. So I think it would be very, very good for Leipzig to win the Europa League. But it's it's getting back into the Champions League. Now, I know they can do that, but I think they need to concentrate on their league form at the moment and, and maybe fight for that um, fourth slot because I think the top three are pretty much cemented into them areas now. So... It's going to be um, Eintracht, Bayer and um, Leipzig fighting for that final fourth place. So I wouldn't give up too early on a return to the Champions League for them via their league form. So I think they can be all right. And I think we're going to chat about the Marseille game. They've probably got enough over two legs to, to cope with that. This similar sort of standard in the league. Uh, obviously, Marseille have got a great history. 
Leipzig a very young club, so it'll be an interesting battle. But I, I can't see them going all out. Um, I'd be interested to think if Manu thinks they'll go all out changes against Hanover. What do you, the best way to reach the Champions League is to reach it via the league, I think. And, you know, two points is, is nothing. We have seen such a merry-go-round um, with the Champions League spots, right, Chris? I mean, it seems like everyone, I could even see someone like Schalke, Schalke still fall out. It's the top six and what second to six are all fighting for the Champions League spots. And I think, um, the risk is, even if you reach the Europa League final, you can lose the game by a mistake, right? And that, that'd be a shame because if you rely on the Europa League to reach the Champions League, that, um, that's, that's risky. Um, best to get it done in the league. Um, and they're still very much in a fighting chance to do so. And there's a lot of money resting on them reaching the Champions League, right, Chris? Because they have that clause in the Navy Cater contract. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of money. So, um, I mean, where are they standing at the moment? They're sixth, so they will get um, 70 million euro total. If they can get into the top four, that's 75. If they slip out, they finish seventh, they'll only get 60. So uh, I'm sure if you get into the back end of the season and they've slipped out, they'll they'll gladly go for the Champions League because it means they'll get that extra money for the cater deal. But I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you. Go for the league. Um, if you can finish fourth, that's what Leipzig need. They don't need to finish second one season and then finish sixth or seventh season after that is disastrous. They need to be able to be finishing the top four year in, year out to attract the type of players that they need to come to the club to make it the club that um, Red Bull want it to be. Yeah, it'll be interesting times, especially in the next week, a big, big week for RB Leipzig. Yeah. Manu, let, let's just talk before we uh, wrap up uh, this week's uh, podcast. Uh, down the other end of the table, we've got um, some interesting games. Um, I just want to Asked you, who do you think uh, could possibly get some points or, or you know, help their cause down that end of the table, I suppose. We've got uh, Hamburg. They're playing away to Stuttgart. We've got Cologne away to Hoffenheim. Wolfsburg away to uh, Hertha Berlin. And that leaves Mainz at home to Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, who do you see uh, possibly picking up some points in this and uh, improving their situation? Oh. Um... I guess everyone is secretly hoping Köln is winning their game, right? And then the likes of um, Wolfsburg and Mainz slip again because then that gap becomes two points. It's it's so hard to call. I think Chris put it very well in our last episode. Um, if Köln wants to do, Köln want to have a chance to stay in the league, and they have a chance to stay in the league. They need to put together a run of sorts. So I think. For them, this game is very important because they need to now string together maybe two, three, four wins, right? To, to really get the momentum going and get themselves out of, out of the situation. So definitely keep an eye on that match. I, mean, I think Hoffenheim Köln is going to be a, an interesting one to watch. And this is one thing that we pointed out, right, Chris, is that Köln actually like to play football. So this is actually going to be a team that's, yes, they are in relegation trouble. But they like to play football and they're playing another side that likes to play football. So this could actually be an interesting and fun match to watch. Yeah, well, I'll be writing the preview for that um, probably as people listen today. Although it'll be tomorrow as recorded. I, 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 Cologne have got a massive chance to do this, but they can only do it. I think I spoke to someone the other day and said Cologne have got eight cup finals. That's what they've got. They want to get themselves out of that situation. They need to approach the next remaining games, the run-in, is each game is a cup final. If they go out with any other thought in their mind, they won't get out of survival because if they can approach that like a cup final, if they can put two or three games together, then you will get worm. Wolfsburg and Mainz will panic massively and then they will start to falter and drop points and all of a sudden, Cologne can make up maybe eight, nine, ten points and that is something that we wouldn't have thought uh, maybe even at Christmas, maybe even a month ago. So, I would like to see that. You know, Manu, you've been there. I've been there. Bryce, you've been there as well. We've all been there. We've all been to Cologne and we've seen what a fantastic stadium it is, how tight it is to the pitch, the, the atmosphere, the surroundings, the walk to the stadium. It's the sort of place that needs to be in the Bundesliga. So I hope they approach all their remaining fixtures as a cup final. Yeah, that's it. They're going to have to approach it like cup fans and also get a little bit of luck, you feel, don't you? And it would be a real shame if they were to go down with that atmosphere. And 
with uh, Dusseldorf. Um, it looks like they're on their way up, and that'd be a great, um, a great derby to have in the league. Um, I think if Cologne were to, were to pick up uh, more than a point, uh, that sets it up nicely for them to go on a bit of a run because they're going to be at home to Mainz the week after, which is going to be a massive, uh, well, six-pointer, as they say. Um, guys, I think that more or less does it uh, for this week in the podcast. Um, yes, isn't it great to have Bundesliga football back only a few days away now? Um, Manu, what, what have you got going on in the next few days? Uh, what would you like to uh, draw people's attention to? Yeah, we still, we, we did something a little bit different, um, with the internationals. We still had the, the match reports on footballgrab.com and fußballstadt.com focusing mostly on, on Germany and Russia. But we also are starting the three talking points on the matches. Um, so post match, usually the day after we have some talking points about some of the big fixtures. So we'll keep that up. Um, I think people, people enjoy that. So that will be tweeted out as always at footballgrab live. And then yes, uh, previews. For the the classical, um, Chris mentioned it, the the Hannover game, Hoffenheim uh, Köln game, and then um, probably pick Werder Bremen against Frankfurt as another match to focus on. The two sides that like to play football as well, and an interesting game to watch. So that will be all uh, on Fußballstadt.com. Tweeted out at Football Live. Yeah, and then uh, I guess games keep coming thick and fast. Europa League and Champions League previews uh, will be out. Um, starting with, I guess, Sunday night, Sunday night, Monday morning-ish, uh, there will be the first periods. So yeah, busy, very busy. Yeah, those uh, midweek games really do give you guys um, plenty to work on, don't they? Uh, Chris, uh, what have you got coming up? I know you, you've got loads of work on at the moment, but what have you got coming up in the next few days you'd maybe like to draw people's attention to? Well, if you've got an interest in where um, Thomas Tuchel may end up, you can visit um, pushballstart.com where... Um, I wrote an article, um, where will Thomas Tuchel end up? It's all aboard the Tuchel Express World which stops. So have a look at that if you've not, uh, and then just keep your eye out for the previews. And then I think we, um, we're recording again before the midweek games, but, uh, I am hopefully off to see, um, Liverpool versus Manchester City, covering that for footballstart.com or football grad as well. Um, and then, um, Arsenal versus CSK in Moscow. I'm still waiting on the um, acceptance for accreditation on that. So hopefully you should have them all by next time we chat on Sunday. Yeah, very busy week, eh? Um, thanks for tuning in. As always, uh, we really uh, appreciate um, our listeners. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, just head over to at Football Grad Live, maybe leave a comment or, or get in touch with uh, one of the three of us. Um, I'm sure there'll be more polls coming your way as well as long along with articles and uh, plenty of other uh, interesting information, especially with uh, all these coaches flying around, all these rumours. Um, I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at BryceDunn11. And as always, if you enjoyed the pod, head over to Likes of iTunes and then maybe give us a, a little bit of positive feedback. We greatly appreciate that. And that more or less does it. Enjoy your Klasker and all the other games coming up this weekend. And that's the end of the international break. Auf Wiedersehen. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.